Welcome to the podcast where heavy industrial industries meet the venture capital ecosystem, interviewing both thought-leading investors and pioneering founders to better understand the opportunities and challenges that lie ahead for digital industrial innovation. Your host is Ty Finley, and this is the Heavy Hitters Podcast. David Henley joins us today from San Francisco. David is the Senior Director of Corporate Development at Autodesk, where he helps lead all inorganic execution activities, including both acquisitions and investments. David has over 20 years of strategy, M&A, and investment experience. Since 2003, he has helped lead corporate development efforts for Autodesk, a global provider of design, engineering, and technical software for the manufacturing, AEC, and media and entertainment industries. During his tenure, Autodesk has completed over 120 acquisitions for over $4 billion in consideration. Some of his deal highlights include the acquisitions of PlanGrid, Building Connected, and their very recent $1 billion Innovise acquisition announcement. Prior to Autodesk, David was an investment banker with RBC Capital Markets and Concordia Capital, a tech-focused M&A advisory in San Francisco. David, a couple deals later, and now we're on a podcast. Who would have thought, right? Great to have you on the heavy hitters. Yeah, thanks, Ty. Really glad to be here. Awesome. Well, we always like to start with more color commentary into your background that led you into leading corporate development efforts for one of the largest industrial software companies in the world. How'd you how'd you get to this point? Yeah, thanks. So um, like you said in the intro, I uh, I spent some time doing investment banking and this was kind of in the late 90s, early 2000s. So I had some of the time of the uh, the, the, the good times during the dot-com boom and then a lot of the, the, the bad times during the dot-com bust. And it taught me that I definitely do not want to be an investment banker for the rest of my life. But I really like the transactional aspect of uh, working on sell-side M&A processes. I like the strategic aspect of working on buy-side M&A processes. And so I really wanted to get into something that was you know, really kind of on the buy side where I was part of the strategy, I was part of the decision making, you know, kind of live and buy based, live and die based on the, the strengths of the, uh, the the decisions and the targets we chose. And so after finishing the little stint doing investment banking, uh, I was lucky enough to find Autodesk right as they were building their corporate development team. Uh, this was back in 2003 and they have always been somewhat acquisitive, but uh, this was when they were really starting to formalize the the, the process. They had hired their first VP. They had hired a couple of other people. So I joined as a very junior person and associate back in 2003. We were still not fully out of the dot-com bust, but uh, they were starting to, to look at things. And, you know, it's kept me been, you know, going on 20 years, 18 years this year, I guess. Um, but the, uh, you know, it keeps changing and evolving and I have opportunities to grow. And so now I'm the, the number two guy. I have the deal execution team under me. And, uh, you know, it's just been a, a great experience. Uh, I'm sure knowing what it, uh, Autodesk is at this point, that has to have been an amazing ride. And and so maybe set the stage for our listeners, maybe some less familiar um, about just generally the breadth of Autodesk, more about your role and responsibilities, and then and then bring it home for us about how both your corp dev activities and you do have the Autodesk Forge Fund investment activities, how, how are those engaging with external innovation in early stage communities to then ultimately drive growth for Autodesk? Yeah, sure. So yeah, I, I suspect that most of your, your audience probably is kind of familiar with Autodesk. Uh, I can tell you when I joined, people did not know what Autodesk was, right? Uh, they knew about AutoCAD sometimes, but they didn't know there was a difference between Autodesk, the company, and AutoCAD, the product. Um, but, you know, that has changed a lot over the last 15, 10, 10 or 15 years. The, um, so, you know, the core of Autodesk is design and drafting and documentation, right? 2D, 
Uh, AutoCAD uh, started in 1982, I think. It was really taking a mainframe type application, putting it on the desktop and kind of living through that whole uh, PC mini computer boom. And uh, you know, from there they grew on and added on lots of different vertical applications, whether it's in mechanical design and manufacturing and uh, you know, more detailed architectural design and infrastructure design, uh, and then ultimately adding stuff in media and entertainment and in other areas, right? So the, the, the breadth is is actually really broad and it goes deep in some areas as well. I mean, AutoCAD is used kind of everywhere. You know, you, you name an application, there's someone that's using AutoCAD to get it done. Um, and then, you know, we have more vertical and detailed applications across things like, you know, structural analysis and, you know, CFD wind simulation and, you know, 3D printing and all sorts of stuff, right? So basically, if if uh, we used to have a, we still have the same, but our one of our old CEOs used to say, if God didn't make it, one of our customers did, and that's really kind of what it is, right? So, uh, you know, that's, Autodesk gets used for almost everything. The core markets are AEC, manufacturing, and media and entertainment. Um, you know, our job in Corp Dev is really to accelerate the, the delivery of the strategy or the realization of the strategy that, that we lay out as a company. You know, so we have teams across the company that look at industries, they look at customers, they look at trends, they look at market dynamics, and they try and say, where do we want to get to? Uh, you know, what do we want it to look like when we get there? And then ultimately, what's the best way, right? We can build, we can buy, we can partner, we can do other stuff. And that's where, where Corp Dev comes in. You know, one, just being an external view and, and bringing feedback from the market into the uh, into the mothership to take into the decision making. And there's lots of people that talk externally. There's product managers and uh, marketing people and channel partners and all those sorts of things. But you know, we come with a slightly different perspective, right? So we're talking to other startups. We're talking to venture investors. We're talking to people that you know often don't really feel they can. Um, they they need to to pull their punches with Autodesk. You know, a lot of times customers won't want to hurt someone's feelings. They they might not give them the full story, but we often get a very you know candid and direct view of uh, of how we're doing or how we're not doing and where we can improve. Right, so we can bring all that knowledge back and you know formulate that into an approach for how can we accelerate our strategy by you know, making investments by you know encouraging the teams to engage in deep partnerships and yeah ultimately by making acquisitions and bringing them in and integrating them making them a part of what what Autodesk does Absolutely. And, and you've been very collaborative, big lifeline for me with you and your team, Sid, Jignesh. Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan of how you guys are giving back to the ecosystem as well. And, and, and so maybe to your comment around deals, let's get into the deal side of this. There, it seems to me more investment, M&A, public listing activity, regardless of the structure, within the broader industrial sectors than ever before right now. And, and Autodesk specifically has been very involved within the last few years alone. I, I'm looking at my list here. Innovi, SpaceMaker, Camplete, our, our shared investor, Pipe.io, Building Connected, Plan Grid, Assemble Systems. I, I, I can't even rattle them all off. And then obviously all the other smaller investments. So from the lens of a very experienced deal executive whose LinkedIn reads, realizing strategic goals through acquisitions, investments, and partnerships, Give us a general temperature check. What's going on here and what's accelerated all this? <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's a great point. I mean, the, uh, the trend has been going on for a while and uh, it only seems to be accelerating the last, you know, every month, frankly. The, uh, the, you know, the initial lockdowns in March seemed to kind of put a damper on things for a while and we didn't know how it was going to come out of that. But, you know, our, deal, our, our, um, 
pipeline and activity last year was as much as it's been in in several years, right? I think we did uh, ten transactions or something like that. You know, we did a few big ones, and 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 there were other ones that we went pretty far down the path that that didn't work out. And and we're definitely seeing a different kind of. Uh, you know, transaction coming forward. Uh, I, I've interacted with sell-side bankers more in the last year than I have in the last five years, right? And not selling kind of crummy, know-nothing companies, but, you know, bigger, meaningful, profitable, growing, you know, strategically important companies like Innovise. Um, and, you know, we've seen considerably more attention from private equity and venture capital and everything just, just you know, across the board, whether it's in, you know, construction or in infrastructure or in, uh, you know, in almost any other area, right? So, yeah, everything kind of on fire. Um, you know, as a deal guy, it's 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 fun, it's exciting, it's you know a bit of career security and 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 all that stuff. The we certainly have questions around: is it sustainable, and you know how long can this go on, and who's going to be left holding the bag? But you know, we just focus on you know making the decisions that that we feel good behind, kind of regardless of the way the market goes or the way things change. So uh, uh, you know, we give ourselves comfort on, on on that front that that we're not you know buying at the top of the market, or if we are, you know, we still have an opportunity to uh, to make a, a real return and have an impact on customers and all those sorts of things. Um, yeah, so that, that's kind of been what we've seen. I think, you know, the, the key thread or the key driver behind all of that is just people have realized that there is a, a wave of digitization and, you know, cloud connectivity that is coming for these massive, you know, older industries that is going to be, you know, a step function, next level kind of opportunity, right? And we've seen a lot of data and stats and reports around construction and the role of digitization there. And, you know, it's not the same in manufacturing because a lot of the digitization happened earlier, but it's all sort of, you know, digitization 1.0, you know, to use a web 1.0 kind of reference, you know, it's, it's not cloud connected. It's not modern. It's not, uh, you don't get all the benefits of it. So you certainly get some, but we see kind of a step function happening you know, across all these industries around, hey, real benefits from the cloud, from collaboration, from, uh, you know, supply chains reorganizing and becoming more resilient, efficient, et cetera. So there's just all these themes that are a sort of secular tailwind for this activity that is that is causing the, the interest, the attention, and the, uh, uh, you know, the successes that a lot of these companies are having. It's a great point. I mean, to the 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 point of foundation now being laid with more sensors available, uh, better ETL processes into data lakes. Again, to your term, cloud. All of the blocking and tackling just to get to the point now with application layers and all the other benefits that come from that data flowing around. I couldn't agree more. I think I think that has now set itself up well for all of these call them more legacy industries to really start. Um, all the deal activity speaks for itself. So. And, and again, with deal activity, so the, you mentioned earlier, build versus buy. I like to call organic versus inorganic growth, whatever we do define it. That's another hot topic in these industrial sectors as digital adoption gains steam. And it's also a tricky topic now because of all the venture dollars at all-time highs backing more and more innovative startups. So how do you and Autodesk think about leveraging both capabilities, whether it's organic or inorganic, to drive Autodesk's growth and product roadmap uh, in industrial innovation? Yeah, got it. So the, um, you know, the there's no simple kind of one-way right answer, um, but you know there's a few few ways we look at it, right? I mean the 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 first piece is that we spend a lot of money on uh, organic 
growth no matter what, right? You know, we have a spend, I think it's 20% of our uh, revenue on R&D. You know, we have huge organizations. They're doing incredible innovative stuff. Some of them are keeping the lights on. Some of them are, uh, you know, bleeding edge technology type stuff, but they're driving the, the core of what we're doing, right? So we look at inorganic more for kind of step function acceleration. Hey, we want to go somewhere and, you know, it's going to take us, even with the teams we could dedicate to us, it's going to take us one, two, 10 years to get there. Um, and then also importantly, you know, getting into areas that we can't actively build into on our own. You know, one of the things we have realized over the years is that uh, building businesses and new markets and new personas and new customers is, is hard. And, uh, you know, buying your way into it is a lot easier. And then you can work on, you know, the one plus one and the synergy type opportunity between them. Right. So, um, you know, that, that, that's another key decision that goes into it. So you think about, you know, is this a, a new TAM? Do we have a right to, to not just a right to participate, but a right to win and, uh, and, and matching that against what our internal dynamics capabilities, et cetera, are, but, you know, it, it's always a discussion. And you know, there's there we we have lots of brilliant engineers at Autodesk that want to solve all problems, and it's great if they do. But you know, sometimes the best way to get into a market is to you know go and find something that's already there, and uh, and just accelerate your uh, your delivery that much more. Sure, and and I do have to pay you guys a compliment on the inorganic side. Uh, you know, my world in the venture capital side. You know, you and the team members in the past, we've shared investments again, Pipe.io, Smartvid.io, some others. I've always been impressed with the deal making approach your team takes into venture capital minority equity investments. Clean terms, willing to share cap tables, aka play well in the sandbox because we all know these early companies are just trying to live on 18 months of cash, hit the next milestone. Why you structure it a win-win-win that way for these early stage venture investments you guys are making across, when I think a win-win-win, Autodesk, the company, and the other VCs. Um, it's not often the case sometimes when it comes from corporate venture, but um, what are you hoping to get out of that relationship with those early stage investments? Yeah, I mean, the I, I think the the most important thing we do is is uh, we don't pretend to be venture capitalists, right? I don't get paid carry. I, there's a lot of corporate uh, VC guys that kind of act like that, and I'm sure it's 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 fun and it's great, but you know that's not my job. My job is to help accelerate the strategy and uh, you know deliver value to to customers and to partners, right? So uh, you know the way we want to do that is by partnering with companies and you know exploring areas that either we don't have the resources or the expertise to go into, uh, or or, you know, frankly, placing a bet that we hope we can harvest in the future, right? Or placing a bet that we want to see if it turns out in the future, right? So, you know, we're trying to get the benefit from what these companies are doing. You know, oftentimes we want to, you know, have them use some of our stuff or connect with, uh, you know, with some part of our ecosystem. Uh, but a lot of it is just learning and understanding what's there, right? So the, uh, the, the, I, I kind of struggle to imagine the scenario where it's not a win-win-win. I mean, if you're, if you're putting in money and trying to, you know, limit a target's uh, capability to go after revenue or a limit, you know, how they can compete or do something along those lines, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. It makes no sense. So, um, you know, we take a, 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 a pretty pragmatic approach. I think, you know, there's things that we need and, and, and the like, we're a public company and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, from our standpoint, if these companies knock it out of the park and raise their valuation by being highly successful, we've just reduced our risk and increased our ROI. So, you know, we're, we're happy to pay more down the line for stuff that's more successful. Well, it's a great reputation in the startup ecosystem, and you guys are uh, big leverage and helpful to those companies when um, when you do choose to invest. So it's a, a hats off to your team there on the venture side. Um, moving us forward here, 
this podcast, we always talk about exits and founders beginning with the end in mind as they capitalize their businesses, specifically within these legacy industrial industries, right? Just different nuances around go-to-market oftentimes than consumer internet or pure enterprise SaaS. So from your outlook, how do you evaluate or value exit potential in these industries that oftentimes don't have a very mature tech exit comp to just set a benchmark against a, a pool of assets. So some like to say investing ahead of the curve. How, how do you guys look at that? Yeah, it's it's tough, right? Um, the I mean, I think what we do try to do is to you know, keep kind of a pragmatic view of what's there, right? The, um, you know, we're not in our, we don't make our investments to earn a big return on capital. We want to get our money back, but what we're looking for is the strategic return, right? So that's the biggest focus, right? Is, is there a viable near-term strategic opportunity Right. So that's why we don't invest in kind of napkin sketches or two people in a garage, because we don't want to wait 12 or 18 months for a V1 of the product or, or something like that to be able to see if there's a, you know, a there there with customers or with our technology. Right. So, you know, we need there to be a little bit of something that we can connect to. Um, and, you know, we really like to see at least some product market fit and kind of, you know, initial customer validation. It, you know, it doesn't need to be, we're not valuing or looking at everything based on an ARR concept or things like that. I mean, obviously that's great if it's there, but, you know, we like to see the validation. We like to see product market fit. And like I said, you know, we're not venture people. We're not looking to put a ton of money to work and I don't get paid carry, right? So um, it, what reduces our risk is, you know, demonstrated capacity to partner and deliver value and, uh, um, and, you know, hopefully the team that can kind of execute against that. Right. And I will say when I when I started doing this and I would hear venture people say, oh, it's all about the team. And I always thought that's such you know, that's such a cop out. Like, that's just the easiest thing to say. It's all about the team. But, you know, having spent a lot more time, you realize there seems to execute in teams that don't. Right. Uh, and, you know, that's that's just seems to be the way it works. And, you know, if they haven't executed for a long time, it's probably not going to change in the future. So uh, it's just something to pay attention to. Sure. No, no doubt about it. I couldn't agree more. Te team at the end of the day, you got to look at a bunch of different things you're evaluating, but the team will drive the success long term. Yeah. So maybe some question to this and metrics are always a interesting discussion in this ecosystem. But is there any maybe if there was one metric you're looking for in more mature investment stages? Um, and then on the flip side of that, is there a metric specifically that most founders are missing that as you see this industry evolving that they should be tracking? So just curious on those two fronts. Oh, yeah. Well, look, I mean, you know, we're not a an enterprise uh, or consumer SaaS company, but uh, or uh, you know, sort of broad horizontal one. But, you know, we are a, a SaaS company largely and we were trying to attack the market. So all the SaaS metrics are key. Right. If you have you know, ARR, net retention, gross retention, expansion, those sorts of things, you know, something that proves out that this is a you know, we don't expect that. Uh, um, you have tapped out all the opportunity, but something that proves out that, hey, there we can take this on a broader market or a broader scale or around the world or whatever it is, right? So, you know, those kind of core SaaS metrics that, that, that I referenced are, are, are key. Um, and, you know, we're less, obviously, if it's profitable, that's great. But, you know, we're not expecting high growth stuff to be profitable. But what is kind of a bummer is when you get a lot of opportunities that are low growth and low profit, and you really wonder, you know, why is this thing not either? You should be getting something, right? You should be getting you know, a, a path to profitability or, or hyper growth. And if you're kind of getting none of those, you're kind of in that, that wasteland in between. So those are, those are kind of the key ones. Sure. Sure. And on the topic of exits, I have to ask, I mean, we're even watching in the news as of this morning, now some more sec, um, 
investigation of how this is all unfolding. SPAC vehicles now are bridging growth rounds uh, is what it seems, but it's a great thing for the ecosystem, adding liquidity, getting more investors interested because there was a gap at that growth round for a lot of these industrial industries. So how do you think this affects our ecosystem longer term? What's your outlook on the SPAC conversation? Yeah, I don't know. It's it, it it's crazy. Um, the 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 level and the amount of money has just gotten so out of hand so quickly that it's just very surprising. So, um, you know, in some ways it kind of makes sense. There's no yield anywhere else. So as long as you can think you can drive, you know, five percent year over year for a few years, that's maybe enough. And so maybe the hurdle's not really that high. But the way the the prices are getting bid up by the retail investors. Uh, I don't see how it makes sense long term. So, you know, someone's going to be left holding the bag. It's going to be the retail investors is who it is. So, uh, you know, maybe they won't have such a negative impact on the industry. If some of these companies get big uh, um, funding rounds and, and can keep going, then then that's great. Uh, although I think we'll talk about it maybe uh, a little bit later as well. But that that's a double edged sword. So we can get into that that conversation um, uh, in, in a minute. But the. Uh, yeah, you know, we're not playing in SPACs uh, in any kind of way. We're not investing in them. We're we're kind of looking at them a little bit just to kind of see what's going on. But you know, everything's been on fire, right? Unity is public. Bentley is public. I mean, Bentley, you know, that they got out quicker than uh than some of the other companies, which is just amazing. So um, uh, the the the, the investors seem to have no limit to their appetite, and it's hard to blame people for taking advantage of that in the uh, in the near term. Yeah, it's a it's a wild ride. I think we're all watching interest rates very carefully because uh, when the discount rate rolls up to those DCFs, a whole lot of things may change, right? So yeah. I guess we shall see. Um, then the last part of this, I wanted to ask the term blitz scale. We've talked about several times on this podcast as well. How do you generally think about the term blitz scaling, and does it even work in these industrial settings from all of the deal activity you've been exposed to? Yeah, you know, I think that, um, like I alluded to, it 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 can be a double-edged sword, right? And you know, some companies have driven that to huge success and wealth and and influence and power and, and all those sorts of things. But that's not the only outcome, right? <laughs> We've seen some major failures across, you know, not just our industry but but other industries uh, about over raising, you know, getting too out far ahead of your skis, uh, and you know, not building one's really kind of sustainable business model. And you know, I, I had these thoughts in talking with other some of the early venture guys in this industry as well, even before the you know the the real marquee money started coming in that. Uh, uh, it, it 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 causes a risk, right? You know, we don't know that um, there's an issue when companies, you know, one uh, go after the highest valuation term sheet and raise as much money as they can, and that's great, and they they feel like they're being really successful, and everyone's kind of patting themselves on the back. But you know, ultimately, they need to deliver on that, and this is not a hyper growth industry for the most part, right? So the you know, if you're not growing into your valuation, you're going to have to go raise again, and that's going to cause issues down the line. So uh, there's there's something to be said for being pragmatic and, and having a good story that allows you to grow each round, grow each value, and uh, and kind of march forward a little bit more pragmatically. And then you know we have seen some of the bigger case scenarios where people have raised big things of massive money. Some not really from in our industry. They said they're going to change everything, and then it all just kind of flames out, right? And then you know the more people get burned. The, uh, the less they're going to want to come back. And ultimately, what we want is a healthy, viable ecosystem um, that will, uh, in, 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 in industry, raising money here, uh, growing companies, having exits, it's better for everybody, right? It's better for investors. It's better for startups. It's better for us as buyers, right? We want to see these companies growing and becoming successful so that we can buy and integrate them, right? So, but if, if the... Uh, 
the if the big flameouts leave more of a hole than uh, than other people can fill in, then you know we're going to kind of go back to the rounds where no one wanted to invest in industrial or construction and um, and those sorts of things, right? So that that that's the risk, and that's what I don't think we're really going to get there. Um, but you know, if uh, if there's too many of these deals go south, then um, then then it could be an issue. But honestly, with this market, you know, it doesn't seem like anything goes south, so we'll probably be okay. It's great insights, and uh, I I love the comment about we want it to be a healthy ecosystem here for the long haul because I think we all know watching the last year and a half we have to modernize our global infrastructure, and um, I I hope that we keep the activity and investment activity going here. So, um, well, David, we always like to bring it back to the founders in some form or fashion on this show. Words of wisdom specifically for them that are out there raising venture capital and specifically around, call it more of the early stage side of the equation, approaching Autodesk for either an investment ship or a partnership, kind of breaking it between these two keys to success as they approach you guys from what you've seen. And then maybe on the flip side, hey, avoid this common pitfall as you approach the discussion. What would be some advice back to the founders out there? Yeah, I mean, I think the the a couple of things, like I mentioned, we're a strategic investor. That's what we care about. So, you know, come in understanding what our strategy is and how we can help each other, right? It's like going in for a job interview. You, you, the, the last thing you want to hear from a, a candidate you're interviewing is all the great things that they're going to get out of this job and, you know, why it's a great place to work and why they're really looking forward to it. I mean, you know, we know that. We work here. It's great. We love it, right? Tell me what you can do for us and why this is going to be great together. So, you know, thinking about our interests beyond just, you know, that we might make some money on the investment because, you know, really that's not what we're focused on. We're focused on a, uh, uh, you know, a strategic outcome. So understand what we're doing, you know, come in with a point of view and, you know, kind of understand how you could fit in and help accelerate some of those things. And we're not expecting people to know everything, right? But to, um, uh, you know, when we're just kind of seen as dumb money, then, you know, that that definitely turns us off. Great. Well, David, we always wrap up with what we call quick hitters, a little bit of a rapid fire Q&A. So if you're ready, we'll uh, we'll jump in. All right. Hit me. All right. Number one thing you're looking for when evaluating um, a digital industrial company for one of your minority equity investments. Uh, meaningful partnership opportunity. What is one resource, could be book, podcast, blog, whatever you'd recommend to our audience to follow in this ecosystem? I mean, I guess you say besides heavy hitters. That's obviously number one. Uh, Well, as as an Autodesk uh, guy, I I have to call out the Autodesk Redshift um, uh, blog that comes out. It's not only dedicated to this, but it's got a lot of interesting stuff. You know, and beyond that, the McKinsey information and and research that comes out is is pretty compelling and uh, and fascinating. And to see that kind of attention on what we're doing is great as well. So those were the the, you asked for one, but I gave you two. No, the the McKinsey research coming out recently is spot on. So I I, I give them a hat tip there as well. Yes. Uh, one person who should be on the podcast. Uh, the well, I don't know everyone you've had on it because I haven't gone back and looked at everything. But have you uh, have you had Jesse Devitt or Darren Bechtel on? Uh, both key ecosystem players and both great recommendations there. Neither have been on. Uh, and finally, David, best way for folks to reach out to you. Uh, hit me on LinkedIn or uh, on my uh, LinkedIn is the best way. Awesome. Well, David, I, a minute when we were talking offline, just the ability for someone who's been deep in this industry for as long as you have from a capital markets, from an investment perspective to kind of help us blend both worlds and share that advice. I, I know it's going to be a great one for our audience. So just really appreciate you coming on. Hey, great. Thanks, Ty. This was, this was a lot of fun.